Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warriors. If you're new to Suncast, I want to say thank you for giving us a chance to earn your attention and lending us your ears and the only non-renewable resource you've got. That, of course, is your time. I promise to take good care of you today. And I want to introduce you to someone I think you're going to learn a lot from. Today's entrepreneur has over 20 years experience in the energy industry, including engineering, product design, management, consulting, was even an engineer at Black & Veatch in the early days when bankability of products in our solar industry was a a budding topic. While at Black & Veatch, Yezin Taha quickly discovered some major pain points related to land use and the core project structure requirements in the solar industry, and as a result left to form Novato's Engineering and bridge that gap. And the gap between Yezin and I was bridged with a former Suncast guest and solar industry luminary, Mr. Jenya Medbury. I want to thank Jenya for helping connect us. He's, of course, now recently joined Novato's, and I've been looking forward to this interview. I think that you, as well, are going to learn a lot about how this company came together, but also the journey of this solar warrior. I hope that you are subscribed to the Suncast podcast on whatever platform it is that you choose to listen through. If statistics are accurate, you're using Apple Podcast or Spotify. So just go ahead and click that subscribe button and take a minute and, and leave us a five-star review. And that's how other folks will find and fall in love with the show, the same as you. Really grateful for it. And you can always check out our 600 plus uh, additional clean energy founder stories and startup advice, just like the one you're going to hear today at mysuncast.com. But for now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, with another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Well, as I mentioned, today's guest, Yezin Taha, has two decades of experience in engineering, dating all the way, all the way back to GE, Train, Black & Veatch. Of course, some of you, probably not all of you, have heard of his newest venture. It is Novato's Engineering. Like many of our companies and our guests, it has gone through the doldrums and of what we call the solar coaster of raising money and near-death experiences. We'll go through uh, that journey with Yezin today and much more about who he is and how he got where he is. First, I want to say thank you again to Jenya and welcome to you, Yezin. I'm really excited to get a chance to dig into your story today. Welcome to Suncast. Thank you, Nico. I really appreciate the opportunity here. Yeah, man. I am a bit of a quote hoarder, as many listeners already know. And I want to share with you a quote, and I'd love to have you share if any quotes particularly inspire you. And the quote that I want to share today is one actually that's on my computer. I use it. Uh, I, I look and think about it all the time. And I think it's actually appropriate for this conversation uh, as much or more than most of my solar uh, guests on the show. And it's one by David Starr Jordan. And the quote is, wisdom is knowing what to do next. Virtue is doing it. Um, yes, and I'd love it if you would share 
uh, any quote that particularly inspires you. I was just thinking of another one of my favorite quotes, though, which is, to err is human, to forgive divine. Yeah. And it just a good golden rule to live by. It, it mm-hmm. slots in so well, and it comes up daily. Yeah, it's true. I mean, even before we hit record here, we were talking about the ups and downs as founders of team management, not just founders, but anyone who has to manage processes and teams, things break. And uh, there is, in the corporate world, oftentimes a lack of forgiveness and understanding and patience. So I think that that's one of those quotes that could really, uh, many, many, the halls of many corporate offices would benefit from having it pasted around the, <laughs> around the corners. Agreed. We didn't record it, but I'd love to. I think it's fun to just kick the, um, the conversation off here because I think it's also a part of uh, just the, the human lived experience. Most of our listeners in some way are senior uh, executives and founders or leaders in companies. And I asked as an uh, off camera uh, before we started recording, I said, hey man, how do you handle working with processes that break and team members that do things repeatedly that maybe don't measure up to the standard or you've set a standard and two, three, maybe even four times it gets um, kind of under delivery. How do you address it? Uh, so yes, and I would invite you to share what you, the sort of the, the mentor coaching that you gave me just generally talking about how you think about it as a leader in your own company. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, that was a interesting conversation. A little more to add to it possibly here. People inherently want to do their best. They want to do the right thing. They want to, uh, they want to be successful and, and show how good they can be. And if things are not going right, then there's a reason for it. There's, there's a lot more than, than what's on the surface. And spending time working through the process, actually sitting down and talking with the, with the person or the people, the team, to figure out what the process flow should be, any issues that you might not be aware of, uh, getting that all floated to the surface is what's going to improve the process for everyone and and reduce or eliminate those kinds of mistakes. But whenever mistakes come up, too, I mean, they're, they're showing that there's something else there. There's something to learn, something to figure out. And it's, it's important to spend the time to figure out, you know, get to the bottom of what it is and figure out how to make it better. And so a question to follow up that I have for you is, is this the kind of thing that can be handled simply over a memo or an email? Or specifically, as a leader trying to root out sort of a root cause, do you, how far down the rabbit hole do you go? Like, I, we all sort of want to live in this world where we believe we can express our desire. Obviously, three, four times uh, something not getting done the way you want it means that there's a, as you point out, like a, there's a break in the process. How do you, I think where the road meets the road is people are asking themselves, like, should I have to like sit down and walk through one piece by piece? this specific thing or is there something i'm missing as a tool for management to help my team get back on track without me needing to like really just pause what i'm doing and go sit down with them yeah uh all right a bunch of bunch of things come to mind here (laughs) and probably rehash of that quote yep so when issues come up addressing them right away is the most important thing if you let them fester, you get upset. The other person doesn't know what's going on. There's just a lot of confusion that grows from it. Weekly one-on-ones are a great way to get through those things, but not avoiding conflict is also a great way to get through them. And actually having good, solid conflict management in place is 
uh, it, learning to have conflict and accept it and, and know that it's an okay thing to have mm. and that it means that you're, you're voicing concerns or issues and working towards a goal that, you know, hopefully everybody's going to be better off with. So, yeah, you can't sweep it under the rug. Um, <laughs> you got to address it as soon as you can and, and then accept that, uh, you will be able to come up with a better solution. And if you accept that, you will get where you want to be. Something that I try to live by, and I don't always live uh, according to this edict that um, I, I, want, I really want, like a tattoo, um, that says this, is, which is assume positive intent. I feel like so often in life, we can get consciously sort of or unconsciously lost in our observance of how our own imperfections, which we aren't necessarily always conscious about or aware of, are reflected in the broken processes in our companies. And then we get angry at sometimes, most times ourselves, because we see them being reflected in people not measuring up to a standard that we've set. And if you operate from the perspective of assuming positive intent, like you said from the very beginning, that people generally want to do good, to err is human, to forgive is divine. These are more than just famous quotes. They're principles to live by. They're values for a company. And it ties back to something we'll talk about later, which is company culture. I really love that we started the conversation this way. Uh, I find that most people don't really know why. I mean, we're getting ready to go to one of the biggest trade shows in the industry and the kind of the most, the, the banal thing that folks get roped into is either at the trade show or even at a Christmas party or some other weekend event, someone inevitably, invariably, because this is our human condition, wants to tie your self-worth and your like sort of personal image to what it is that you do for a professional living. So um, I, right, like the question is always, so what do you do for a living or what do you do? Or what they say when they, when they ask, what do you do? is not like, are you into motorcycles? It's um, like, how do you make a living? Somehow that's our, at least our U.S. culture. So I like to start out with a question around defining the problem set that you believe is the sort of underlying hedgehog concept that your professional career is oriented around. And I will posit to you and everyone else listening that if you think about why you're doing what you're doing in this way, then you'll never lack a, a solid answer in that networking moment again, where someone says, what do you do? Introduce instead of your company or how you make money, introduce the problems that you solve. Because the goal is to have someone say to you, tell me more, right? Actually to lean in and want to know more about what you're doing rather than like be thinking about their next question and, or the next person they're going to walk over to. So Yezin, how do you describe the problem that you created Novatos to solve? Sure. This is, this is an interesting topic. I, I don't know if people are able to see, but when you think of a business, you know, stretch your arms out as wide as you can, that's your business. And then your idea is this tiny little sliver in the middle idea almost doesn't matter. Like you're building a business when you start something like Novato's or, you know, all the other amazing businesses out there to build a business and to make it operate. You need, you know, for the way we look at it at Novato's, you need three, you need your core values. We have three core values. There's transparency, mm -hmm. partnership, and leadership. And those three things are what we run the business on. This goes for employees. It goes for suppliers and it goes for customers. And I, I say that, in that order too, because everything starts internally. 
you have to make sure that you know w- with your with your team, with the employees, with everybody you work with on a on a regular basis. And then when you start to make your product, mm-hmm. you you have to have a strong relationship with your suppliers, and ultimately it 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 flows down to your customers. And having transparency with in every step along the way, focusing on partnership. Like this isn't, this is not a transactional relationship that it's not what you should be trying to build mm-hmm. up in your business, or at least our view is that you should not be. Um, and this is a partnership where you're trying to work together to create the best thing that you can as a group Yeah. for something like we're doing in Novatos, bringing the industry into non-flat terrain and really pioneering the movement of solar tracking from flatland to non-flat terrain mm. We have to be leaders in it, and yeah. that takes leadership within the organization to figure out what we need to do, what we need to learn and develop, getting our suppliers to make the parts to operate in a regime where they hadn't ever had to operate before, and then working with our customers to make sure we know how to get the, the right land, how to think about things coming up to design, financing, construction, mm. yeah. uh, and then operation of the system. So. Uh, leadership is the, you know, it's the final piece there, but it's, it's also probably the most important in the end. Yeah. So if I can paraphrase the macro problem that I understand, and feel free to correct me on this is, you know, the era, the age that you and I sort of grew up in, in the solar industry of perfect postage stamp, flat land uh, for the, for these wonderful, you know, tracking solar arrays or fixed hill is a dwindling asset. And therefore we increasingly through uh, lots of reasons, NIMBYism, even uh, political uh, regime shifts, notably in Europe and other places where they have less land, arable land to depend on, you know, solar is facing a real constraint and being pushed into areas where the, the terrain does not necessarily accommodate the asset the way it once, uh, we, we once sort of thought about it from a development perspective. Um, is that accurate? 100%. Okay. So with that in mind, please introduce us to Novatos, the company that you've created and why this company is going to solve the problem that we've just enunciated. Sure, sure. I'll give a quick backstory mm-hmm. how how we got here. So I worked at Black & Veatch for about three years from 2010 to th- 2013. And while I was there, I was doing construction monitoring on projects across the U.S. and South Africa, bankability studies on all the major tracker manufacturers that were operating at the time, and then also uh, production estimates for those projects. So really seeing all the major inputs and then these projects being put into the ground in real time. What, what What I learned from what was in the industry, there are a lot of great products out there. There are phenomenal people working to create, you know, what our competitors or other portions of the business, uh, the industry are are putting out. But there is this, this mindset of flat land and you do solar on flat land. And that, that was the concept. That's what everybody followed. And that's where I saw a lot of problems coming in. We had multiple lines on construction schedules that we could have gotten rid of. Um, some of those other people were working on already. And this is back when we were running copper cables from module to module, clamping them on and then 
clapping him to a grounding rod, which was pounded into the ground right next to one of the foundations, which is a grounding rod. Like, why are we doing all this extra work? Well, those things got eliminated. Like the industry did a great job. A lot of, a lot of great minds saw that and said, no, we're going to change this and do it more efficiently. But there's that one pervasive issue of grading. And, you know, again, back in this time period, we're shutting down I-5 due to dust storms from solar power plants being, you know, the, the ground being graded for these solar power plants. And if you weren't driving around constantly with the massive water trucks, just spraying water all over the soil, you would get dust and you get a lot of it. And it caused problems. There were, you know, valley fever epidemic apparently was, had, had some, some root and uh, dust going around, but definitely just other issues, uh, local environmental issues and even safety issues on freeways. So, it just had to stop. And there were a lot of measures put in place and it really was, you know, the, the issues were, were taken care of for the most part. But we still had the problem of grading, the cost, the environmental damage, and then the issues with operations and maintenance of these power plants once you tear off that topsoil. So I saw this. I saw this uh, in construction monitoring on, you know, projects all around the world. By the way, if you remember that time period, that's when Sandy... Hurricane Sandy hit the East Coast and there were projects in New Jersey that got mired for months. Mm-hmm. They just couldn't do anything with them. They, they were stuck. There was so much environmental damage because mm-hmm. they had graded, they had ripped off all the grass and it was just a mud pit and you couldn't get heavy equipment to go through. So um, I saw that and I thought, there's got to be a better way to do this. And my approach was to go after um, a tracker. I thought it was a niche market at the beginning, but eventually, you know, it's become the market. It's really the only market that it pretty much the only market that exists now. Mm. And that is an all-terrain tracker. Mm-hmm. And it was focused on these flexible U-joints and integrating those to every bearing assembly. And that was how we first approached the market. After a little while, I realized we don't need those parts. We can actually use flexure joints yeah. and bring a much lower cost part that all of a sudden became cost competitive on flat land. So, we approached this as let's figure out a solution for you know this niche market, and then we figured out how to expand out of that to the entire market. Got it. Uh, but you know that's that's the history of it, and you know that's that's what we decided to go after. I do want to point out the entire industry had started on flat land, mm-hmm. so your software, all of your construction techniques, every single thing that you do to build a solar power plant at the beginning was all flat land based. Mm-hmm. So. When we started in Vados, we had to come up with a new structure, new control systems, new software, new approaches to design and, and, uh, and construction. Yeah. Um, there were just myriad steps to get through. And then you had to prove it to everybody who was going to look at it. So yeah. getting you know, everywhere from the customers to the banks. So it was, a, it was a big lift to get this idea filled out, adjusted from what we were doing, and then you know, created as the, the future for the, for the industry. Do you know what the economic impacts are of these dust storms or runoff or the potential economic impact? Uh, It's hard for me to put a number to that. Those were a long time ago, but the issue hasn't gone away. What we're seeing now, you know, talking with customers or other people we meet at conferences, what we're hearing a lot of now are the number of protests at Mm. permitting hearings that people are dealing with. There, you know, I was talking to someone a while back, at least land from a farmer, and the farmer found out that they were going to grade his land 
And he said, no. And he got all his friends in the area together and they went and they protested at the permit hearing and they shut down any ability to grade that land that he had just leased out. He was willing to to give up the lease and lose that opportunity because he didn't want his land destroyed. Right. And this is not- Because how can you return it to its previous condition? So the reason I ask- Yeah, the reason I ask, and I love that answer is- there are externalities. So I'm thinking through, uh, again, I, I want everyone listening to think through this for your own business as I do it with Yezin here, okay? And uh, I don't know when we're going to publish this, may, maybe before or after RE+, doesn't matter. But if you're, at, if you're engaged in a conversation, especially in the industry, and folks go, well, tell me what do you do? I suggest that you don't start with, c- candidly, like, I love your answer because you went into your company values and, and company culture. And that's something we're going to drill back into. I would suggest you don't start there. I would suggest that your answer be something like, I help stop dust storms. It's really straightforward. <laughs> Good right? point. Okay, so just stop there. Because what's the most logical? Either they're listening and they care, or they're like, oh, cool. And they're like picking off their food. And you realize like, oh, this is somebody I don't really want to talk to right now. Anyway, I, I choose to not waste time engaging in banal conversation in these, in, in these environments, you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with, including at networking events. So you're either boring and talking about dumb shit, or you're interesting and talking with interesting people. So come up with a hook, right? Just like a good YouTube video. Or, so it could be one of, one of like some, something like this. Let's just assume it's a, it's a $3 billion problem, right? Because we've done the math and we know that on average, the number of projects being shut down because of protests and the number of projects getting fines because of runoff, blah, 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 is a $3 billion project. Then your answer is, I help save the solar industry $3 billion by cleaning up its dirtiest little secret. I mean, that's pretty good. You know, what do we do? When you're looking at project costs, it's uh, anywhere from zero to 10%. So we cut out, you know, up to 10% of your project costs by addressing solar's dirty little secret. Perfect. I love it. So I... I yeah, think I, I, like would, that. that's, I would that's challenge good. you to like sit back with Jenya and your team, your marketing team and say, how can we take this thing and turn it into something that we all say at, at RA plus, right? This is how we answer the question because the goal is to have them say, oh, tell me more. And then you have like a subset of answers that you give, depending on if this is an engineer, like it really, your business development team, your sales team has to have this thing in mind because otherwise all, they'll start talking about how like wonderful our engineering is and like how we've developed this all-terrain tracker and like people are going to go, okay, cool. How's that different from ATI or how's that different from what Net Tracker's doing? You immediately yeah. they're on the defense. But everybody can I get see, on board. I see what you're getting at. There's actually, yeah. Um, I wasn't quite, <clears throat> I, I don't think I gave the best answer there. That's either. fine. I, th- uh, dude, this isn't, and, and it's, not a, it's not a test either. This is actually like, I'm, through your answer, I'm helping you and the listener explore what does it mean to use the words, the positioning in every conversation to engage the biggest audience possible to come along as allies to this mission, which is mm. we as an industry have to address the fact that people don't like that we're taking up arable land for this thing that sits there for 30 years. And yes, it produces income, but it doesn't produce food. So are we talking about agrivoltaics? And if not, push that thing out of, the t- out of my town and into the far reaches. And I don't care how much it costs you to interconnect it at the best like local point. I care that it's not in my backyard and I care that it's not taking yeah. out my, my, uh, my, my, my al- almond orchard, right? Or almonds. If are you hearing them. a lot? Of, are you hearing about a lot of this too? The, mm-hmm. the pushback Absolutely. on 
grading and usage of land. Absolutely. Protests um, for grading, protests for land use, protests for, um, I mean, and a lot of it candidly, which we've talked about on the show is driven. It's driven behind the scenes by the fossil industry lobbying these small towns and saying, you don't really want this. And here's why you don't want it. And they give them all the talking points. Now, it's not true everywhere, but there are really smart people in rural towns who really understand what they want that land use for over the next 50, 100 years, not over the next five to 10 years, right? So uh, I just, I encourage you and everyone else listening to think about how you present the, the business, not so much as a, as a widget, but there is a macro problem that needs to be solved and we are addressing it the same way others are, but we've got some differences. Uh, but, but let's, let's like the, for the thing you want to do as a good communicator is get people on board first with the idea that needs to be solved. And then you can start yeah. introducing ways that you're trying to solve it that they may or may not align on, but they can be curious about. Right. Yeah. You know, the, the way we usually say it is we eliminate grading on, on your solar power plant projects, you know, it gets a point across, but yeah, we cut out uh, up to 10% of your costs by eliminating solar's dirty little secret. Yeah. There's a pretty slick way of putting it. Right. Because some people don't care that you eliminate grading. They're not even going to ask you how or why. They're like, th- that almost satisfies them. They're like, okay, grading, that's boring. I don't want to talk about that. Right? You could be a construction company. They don't know. Right? Mm-hmm. But if you introduce something yeah. that's compelling, that hooks them. All right. So the question I have for you now is, I've mentioned already, ATI, Next Tracker already tried to solve this. Alliant, a company I worked for for three years, already tried to solve this. Um, what solutions exist today and how are you, um, and how are you addressing sort of being different. Yeah. So there are a number of solutions on the market today. We're not, I mean, we're not the only tracker company out there. We're not the only people trying to, mm-hmm. trying to address rolling terrain. Now the solutions that we see though have a lot of drawbacks. I mean, mm-hmm. grading, we already talked about that. You destroy the land. It costs a lot of money. You set yourself up for a lot of problems uh, operating the power plant when it goes into uh, operations. Mm-hmm. Cause you're going to have any big rainfall comes along. You're going to, have the potential of washing away the soil that hasn't stabilized yet. Then you have to backfill the soil, plant more grass. And how long does that take? That can take years, three, four, five years for really bad projects. So what we realized was you can't just reduce, right? You can't just reduce the amount of work that you're doing or the amount of grading. You have to eliminate it. And there are no products on the market other than Novatos's that can fully eliminate grading on projects. Well, for the equipment, you still have your roads, you got to navigate the site, but for, uh, for the equipment, we're really the, the, we're really your option. And that's grading, right? Not just grubbing. Like you, I'm sure most sites have grubbing, like got to eliminate the, if there are shrubs and stuff on site, like that's, you have to differentiate. So the folks that don't know, like they've never been on a utility scale site, like there is a mm-hmm. difference between like clearing the land versus actually like taking away large chunks of it so that it's flat. Yes, exactly. That's that's a good point. You know, the the grubbing piece, you know, take off top little bit of soil, but you need you leave your root structure. Uh, definitely any any large plants, but grading is where you're actually cutting off the tops of hills and filling in low spots and just ruining your root structure. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it is. I've never said this before. Uh, it didn't really occur to me, but it's the equivalent in the solar industry of of like how the mining industry just takes mountaintops away. Right. I hate to say it. it that's is. a dirty secret. If you look at the history of human civilization and all of the major civil projects we've ever done, 
Can you think of any major civil project where you didn't have significant land disturbance? Mm-hmm. Uh, Machu Picchu. Ooh, well, that's good, but they did have to, they did have to just uh, to lay their foundations and build up on top of that. Yeah. But, you know, you know, that could be one, you know, that, that actually could be a pretty darn good one. Other than that, though, what do you have? Like, you've got modern solar power plants mm-hmm. when you don't grade. Yeah. That's the only other one that I can think of. Mm-hmm. What over the last 5, 10, 15 years, so I, I think the timing is everything for a business. What needed to be true for Novatos to work? Well, there had to be a need. You know, mm-hmm. when we first came out, uh, it was hard to tell if there was a need or not because all of our our <laughs> key customers kept going out of business. Mm-hmm. You know, we partnered up with Sun Edison. They had a they saw a real big need for what we were doing. They were very interested in it, and then they went out of business. Uh, then we started working with SunPower really tightly. They were very interested in the all-terrain aspect of our product, and um, things were looking good. And then all of a sudden, you know, SunPower shut down its utility scale operations and you know a number of other portions sold off like it mm-hmm. you know broke the company up still a strong company today but it's different than what it was yeah, much when we were talking with them about utilities and then you know we had a couple other partners i'm not going to say any more names um but things just didn't uh things just wouldn't grow and it wasn't so much i think that there wasn't a need it was just that we just had hit these massive industry headwinds mm. of, you know, first off, who's Novatos, who's Yes, and how much money do you have? Yeah. Those weren't real strong stories to tell at the beginning. Uh, but looking back at it, if we had been able to tell those stories stronger, I think there would have been much stronger adoption years ago. Yeah. But now we can tell those stories strong there. And there is a massive need in the industry yeah. to fit to non-flat terrain. It's like yep. when we but talk you- with our customers between 60 and 100% of their projects are on non-flat terrain. So this is not something that's going away. It's growing. Yeah. So I'd say scarcity in flat land is something that needed to be true. Right. And it wasn't in 2000 and in 2006 when I started and in 2000, I remember like 2008, the Nellis Air Force Base project, right? The biggest 14 megawatts, mm. biggest, biggest utility scale project in the United States at the time. And then, you know, you start getting into like Imperial Irrigation District, you start getting into uh, all the projects that were rolled out in, in throughout the, what we just call the Southwest of the United States on by and large, huge flat tracts of land. What needed to happen, what needed to be true is the scarcity in flat land, meaning like the industry developed at such a rate. And there were so many developers um, going after projects and opportunities that we began to run into this idea that, wait a minute, we can't take up all this farmland, right? So that needed to be true. And then to your point, there needed to be profitable developers that were willing to operate for more than, um, <laughs> to, to continue operating into perpetuity uh, and owning and owning these projects. Um, we'll get into some of the some of the folks that did make bets in a moment. Well, actually, Nico, I've got yeah. one one counterpoint to that, or okay. or just something to add to it. I sure. should say, not a counterpoint. When you're looking at solar power plants in 2010, 11, 13, 14, whatever, and you look at the total cost of the project, a massive portion of that was the solar modules. Mm-hmm. It, it it way it, it outweighed everything else. And these, this small portion of soft costs associated with grading was, was pretty insignificant. Mm. And it was something that was wow. more likely to be glossed over. But as dollar per watt costs have dropped, all of a sudden grading is a substantial portion of your project cost. And, it, it, and it's the difference between being profitable on a project or building a loser of a project. So that is another driver. That, those solar projects, the, you know, the, the early ones that were going in in the desert, they still needed grading. They yeah. typically, like if you look at an American football field, 
that one foot rise in the middle, that has to be accounted for with conventional, you know, continuous torque tube, single axis trackers. So you look at a desert and you think, oh, it's flat. It's beautiful. Perfect for solar. Still got to grade it. Huh. I didn't know that. I mean, <laughs> I knew, I knew like in concept, but I, I sort of figured that, and I bet a lot of folks did, that a lot of those early projects did sort of look for those sites that had the, we'll call it the least amount of grading, but, but virtually no grading. But you're right. You drive through the desert and, uh, and get out and walk around and it's not perfectly flat. Um, hmm. so the, what you add is what needed to be true was that the soft costs like grading needed to become a measurable component, uh, i.e. a larger portion of the total cost as a result of the industry driving down equipment costs in, in modules and, uh, and even, um, structures. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So we've talked a lot about sort of the product technology background, um, still, it's hard to build a business. So can you talk to me a bit about some of the proof points that, that suggest that Novatos, which has survived as many companies have, um, the doldrums and, uh, and throw the sort of death throes of, of startup world, you know, what were some of the funding milestones or uh, accomplishments of the last two to five years that suggest you are on the path now that, you know, the folks should are paying, why are folks paying attention to you? That's a really good question. You know, the, the, the last few years here have really changed a lot for Novatos. We incorporated in 2014. First five, six years were, were really difficult. Uh, there's just no way, no other way to put it. It was very hard to grow. This is back when hardware clean tech was anathema to most investors. No one wanted to put money into us, like solar racking systems at a frame. What, what is that? You know, like, good luck. It was really hard to raise. Um, we ended up getting government grants and that's you know, the government grants are why we're here and alive today. Without mm-hmm. them, we would have been, you know, tell dead, me about that. So you got, water. you got some sunshot grants who Correct. decided that was the route, the route to go. And, um, and how much did you, were you able to raise in that non-dilutive funding? Sure. So, uh, it was the only way we saw of been able to bring in any significant money and we needed it to even raise money from angel investors. Mm. So they needed to see some kind of match to know that uh, we'd be we'd be able to get the capital that they thought we needed to grow. So we raised a bit of money just from friends and family, yeah. my parents, my brother, my mm-hmm. co-founder's uh, family, and we were able to build our first prototype. It was clunky. It was a mess. We did it up at Fry Vineyards up in uh, Ukiah area, Ukiah, <laughs> totally. California. I think it's still there. And the fries were amazing. Like we, you know, we wouldn't have been able to do it without them. They were they were critical in us getting our prototype in the ground. Well, we used that uh, as part of our application for a SunShot grant. And we got our first SunShot grant that we applied to, which, by the way, is apparently harder to get than it is to get into Harvard. So wow. it was a difficult thing to do. you hire someone to, to help do. you with that grant? I wrote it. I no wrote way. It. I was pretty pa- yeah, passionate about this. You know, when you want to do it, you're going to do it. So we got the grant uh, and that started us moving. It's a very difficult way to run a business with very little funding and operating on grants. So it's mm-hmm. not like it was a walk in the park at all, but we got another D- DOE Sunshot grant or CEDO as they're called now. It was, yeah. uh, and then we, we also got a California Energy Commission grant uh-huh. and that's how we operated the business. The, how, there were some how, ups and downs. Oh, how many people did that fund? 
Oh, I think we Your got up around five or six. Okay. Yeah, it got us up around five or six people, um, some contractors as well. I mean, kind of waxed and waned for a while. So the company grew up around about six, and then we got smaller, grew up again to about three or four, and then got smaller. We ended up at two. So three years ago, there were two of us. I don't think most people realize that there were two people at Novato's three years ago. And then just by a funny twist of fate, one of our competitors, Omco, who's also supplied and they're also friends, like we think very highly mm-hmm. of Omco, they introduced us to D.E. Shaw. And D.E. Shaw got a hold of us. We talked within a week. D.E. Shaw representatives were at our office. And then weeks later, we had our first contract with them and then another contract and then another contract. And that, that is what, that's when we took off. Without D.E. Shaw, we were, we were almost done. Honestly, we were, so, we were at it right up at the end for those for for folks who don't know um i'm going to put in perspective here d shaw renewable investments desri as we call it in the industry has the third largest portfolio of solar projects in the united states it has roughly 60 billion in assets under management uh as of beginning of 2023 and is has been known for taking uh, i'll call bets but like technology bets because they have such a diverse portfolio taking technology bets um, with Novados, obviously, and some of your competitors um, because they, they recognize the issues that sold that their assets and others are facing and are going to face like software to address backtracking, which was a problem five or so, six years ago. Um, They introduced into their portfolio, a relatively young company at that time. And, it seems like grading is a problem they probably were encountering as well. I mean, kudos to D.E. Shaw. I've, I, yeah, I don't know why I've never had anybody from Desri on the show. I should do that. I should fix that. But that's cool. Uh, and, and how interesting that Omco made that introduction, which goes to show you just how small the solar industry still is. I mean, it really is still a family where we care more about like helping people survive and solve these problems than like putting our competitors out of business when when that opportunity arises, like certainly someone at Omco could have recognized like this might be, you know, this, this might be a huge lift for Novatos. I'm eternally grateful to the folks at Omco. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of great people working over there. Wow. That's amazing. Up until the point where you had to dwindle back down to two, how much more or less ballpark had you raised in capital? Um, And I'm guessing this is like prior to Desri, this is prior to like really product market fit and getting, to the point where you had customers and orders, right? How much did you raise? Sure. Yeah, we raised right around 3 million in government grants. And w- I think we were at 1 million in seed funding. Yeah. Um, and how much in we seed? We did bring in 1 million. It, we ultimately right. had one and a half million in seed funding before we did a series A, but right. that third seed funding round was right before we did our series A. And then our series A, you know... <laughs> I see what companies raise raise for their seed rounds and they're raising two, five, 10 million, 20 million in their seed rounds. Our series A was $4 million. Yeah. We've raised no more money since. By the way, what that year was that? three years ago. Oh yeah. 2020. 2020. Yeah. Did you see? So I, I'm recently watching PV case as an example, hundred million series B. Like what are the numbers that? Yeah. Right. That's, that's the right response. Bug-eyed, wow. right? Like what I, the series a hundred million is like 
what we were seeing as a series D in 2020, 2019, right? Not series B. Um, I mean, I, I, Omnidian a year and a half ago with a 33 million, I think Raptor maps with like a 70 million series B. It's crazy. Um, the numbers. So kudos to you also and to your team for right sizing your valuation, right sizing your um, opportunity for investors at 4 million series A and not needing to raise money after that. Yeah. Yeah. We're profitable this quarter. We're going to be, profitable for the lifetime of the company that's amazing congratulations all right let's see hang on i want to see if i've got i think it's uh that's not the right one (laughs) that's the one yeah (laughs) oh man i sometimes play around with this little sound pad um that's amazing i'll have to remember which one is the flat crowd cheering it's yellow um that's fantastic man kudos um who led the Series A? Uh, that was D.E. Shaw. Um, mm-hmm. They were they we were trying to find someone else so that they didn't have to be involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, you know, that made the most sense. They've been incredibly supportive of us uh, this entire way. They they hold our feet to the fire to make sure we perform. They push us to do better, and they tell us when when things aren't acceptable. And through that, we've grown tremendously. I, I credit a lot of our, uh, why we are where we are today, you know, Shaw's guidance. And well, we're going to get into growing tremendously because you've done a lot of that in your young life. I'm going to take us a, a little side trip here. Um, and then we're going to get into your background. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground here in the, in the, you know, 30 or 40 minutes we've already had. So I'm going to ask folks to just stick around because the story gets better. Um, but you know, if you, if you just wanted to learn about Novatos, like we'll probably come back to some company culture stuff. We'll probably come back around to some of the other elements of like how he chose his team, but I'm going to dig into some of uh, yes in your background here. Tell me about a time when you were faced with what I'm going to call an ultimatum. You were forced to kind of make a career decision or a path that upon reflection really put you on the path that you're on today. Uh, sure. <clears throat> I think one, there's one that just stands out clearly and it's a treasure map to a motorcycle hidden in the mountains of Northern India. Uh, quick backstory of why that's <laughs> <Yeah>. important. <laughs> in 2009, early 2009, I think it was February 25th, mm-hmm. I crushed my right ankle skiing and it was bad. It was incredibly bad. Wow. My, my surgeon didn't think it was going to survive. She was expecting amputation. She thought it was done. Mm-hmm. And we weren't going to know for a while because it takes a long time for bone to die. So mm-hmm. it was not a, not a good place to be. Somehow I magically forgot about it. And then eight months later, I remembered and said, realized this is my eight month anniversary. My, and I still have my leg. Yeah. So it didn't end there though. The doing something like that is not an easy thing to recover from. <clears throat> and over the course of the next, you know, four years, five years, I, well, over the entire period, I had five different surgeries. I had to learn how to walk again on that darn leg five different times. And it changed the way I thought about what I wanted to do in my life and gave a sense of urgency to doing things now. I'd always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I'd always wanted to start my own business. I'd tried a few times back when I lived in South Carolina. And, you know, now at this point, I was living in San Francisco and I dove into it again. So, you know, doing custom motorcycle builds on crutches as I, you know, just try to learn how to start a business, doing energy efficiency consulting. And and none of it really stuck. Like it it was neat. It was kind of fun, but it wasn't ultimately what I wanted to do. 
Uh, once I was able to sit in an office chair for more than five minutes, I, I started looking for work and I took a role with Black and Veatch. And when I was yeah. at Black and Veatch, I, you know, I really credit Black and Veatch for helping me move up in my professional career right. and, you know, getting to a point where I could start something like Novato's. Yeah. And it was, it was at Black and Veatch where I really learned about bankability on trackers yeah. and really learned the solar space. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't stay at, at Black and Veatch and I knew I had to leave and I wanted to celebrate still having both my legs. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to figure out how to get the gumption to go out and like, well, quit to, to, to resign from Black and Veatch yeah. from this, golden this office that I loved working with. Yeah, golden handcuffs in a way. And I was talking with a friend of mine, Brett. And I talked with him a lot about this and I think he was starting to get a little tired of me. And he said, look, if you quit tomorrow, I'll give you a treasure map to a motorcycle hidden in the mountains of Northern India. If you don't, I won't. So I got a treasure map to the motorcycle hidden in the mountains of Northern India. Amazing. Um, it was so amazing. You your resignation the next day. Next day I was done. That was a swift kick in the pants. And <laughs> don't let the door hit you. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Amazing. So yeah, that's uh, that was a big part. Motorcycle was gone, by the way, but I rented another and had a blast. So it all worked. No out. way. What about the treasure? Uh, yeah, no. Well, the motorcycle was. Oh right, to the, treasure the treasure was the motorcycle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But the map led you on uh, a greater journey. It did. It was incredible. You know, before that, I spent some time in Spain, walking El Camino de Santiago, that old pilgrimage mm-hmm. across Spain. Yeah. Went to German, Germany, got my German working, like actually got conversational in German finally. Wow. Went to India, had this crazy adventure with this motorcycle, and then um, ended up in Colombia after that. And I bought a motorcycle in Colombia, stayed with some friends there, yeah. rode 5,000 miles around the country. But just such a stunning, incredible place. Yeah. Um, but the second day I was in Colombia, I was up in Los Nevados which is the Sierra Nevadas. They run from Canada all the way down to the tip of uh, South America. Yeah. And I thought, you know, my idea for a tracker would fit here. I could put it up in these mountains at 15,000 feet, bring it up on, on mule, you know, but if I start the company, that's going to be the name of the company. So that's where it came from. Nevados. Wow. That's pretty cool, man. I love that. Uh, I love that story and how you not only can tie it to the way you came up with the company idea, but that, the Mike, I'm going to make some assumptions here, but like your ability to take some time off, unplug from corporate culture, experience life outside of the United States, ultimately ending up in Colombia, it all, it all contributes to cultivating the idea, polishing it in your mind, right? Walking the Camino de Santiago itself is a life-changing experience. I've heard from many friends that have done it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the Camino is... Uh, Camino was the most incredible experience I've had. And mm. I hope everybody, just a moment, if you can hear in the background, no, like, this yeah, is actually funny. one of our first offices. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's no longer our office. I just happen to be sitting in here today. It's available. Mm-hmm. And we're moving our other offices to our new headquarters today. And nice. we are, we're moving into a massive headquarters, 25,000 square feet, or sorry, 15,000 square feet. It's over in Jack London Square. We'll be building oh, it out. I love that part of Oakland. That's wonderful. Taking over it's the old wonderful. longevity office. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, we, uh, we want to build a presence in Oakland. We, that's uh, super cool. I think we're going to be there for a long time. Man, that's super cool. That's awesome. Yeah. You were talking about uh, but the... Yeah. Uh, I mean, no, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Uh, for anyone who has an opportunity to do it, it's, it, it's not 
it, this doesn't have to be a physical thing. Like I had just had another surgery on my leg. I was barely able to walk and you can get through it and you, ha- you, you build relationships and friendships that I mean, you build them in a day. You're walking with the same general group of people the whole way along and you build these strong relationships just in the course of a day. And it makes it such an incredible month long or week long or two week long experience, whatever right. you, you have time for. That's uh, amazing. I, yeah. If you get a chance to do it. Yeah, that's cool. That's been the experience of uh, recently watching my friend Steve do the Camino as well. Have you been curious about utility scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid-cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. Its built-in DC to DC coupling combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. Hey, pardon the interruption, but I wanted to just let you know how much of an impact you have on SunCast. Yeah, you. Thank you for clicking play. Without you, this show is just me shouting into the void. But there's still people who don't even know about Suncast. I know, I can hardly believe it myself. (laughs) But that's where you can help me yet again. There's a simple way that you can show some love and help others discover the show. If you cruise over to www.ratethispodcast.com forward slash Suncast, I'd love it if you would leave a five-star rating and enthusiastic review. That's possibly the single kindest thing that you could do for me today. So if the show has helped, inspired, or even entertained you at all, I'd love it if you would head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast and give me a virtual two thumbs up. All right, back to today's episode. It's interesting for me that you know, travel, I'd say came back into your life. You're very um, travel oriented. Um, You were born in, but not raised um, for a portion of your life in the United States. Talk to me about where you grew up and how you grew up. Talk about your family, obviously, you know, with a name like Yezintaha, there's a story. I want to hear it kind of tell me about your mom and dad, where you grew (laughs) up and even what was the, it was a nuclear family and, and how did travel factor in to your lived experience as a child. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can dive into that. Um, get me back on track if I go off. I will. By, by the way, I'm, my full name in the U.S. is Yezin Eugene Taha. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's ever going to be another Yezin Eugene Taha ever to exist mm-hmm. on the face of the earth. It's a pretty odd combination of names. Yeah, so my father is, he was born in Jordan. And he came to the U.S. when he was 18, go to Manchester College. Uh, my mom's from Anderson, Indiana, and she went to Manchester College, too. Obviously, that's where they met. And it was senior year, and my dad had seen my mom around, asked her if he could buy her a cup of coffee. And five months later, they, were, they got married. Um, still married today and <laughs> living not too far away. They're over in Champaign, Illinois. So, well, my I have two siblings. My brother came along. My sister came along. I was born. I was born in 1977, January, during the the blizzard of 77 in Maryland and uh, just outside of D.C., Silver Springs area. Uh, 
I have one memory there. Um, when I was nine months old, some people say it can't be true. I remember it pretty clearly. And then we left. And that was it. We moved to Jordan. And we lived in Jordan for a few years. My father was teaching at Yarmouk University in economics. He got a PhD from Duke. And uh, we, yeah, we moved to Jordan and they offered him the deanship there. And he realized, you know, wanted want to be outside of Jordan. He wanted to go explore and see other things. So mm-hmm. he turned it down and he took a role with the Arab Monetary Fund in Abu Dhabi. So we then moved to Abu Dhabi. So my brother, my sister, and I all had English accents when we were kids. Like that's what we grew up speaking. Yeah. Like I spelled color C-O-L-O-U-R and it took me a long right. time to switch to O-R. <laughs> but we lived there for five years. We'd been in Jordan for a few before that. And, uh, Ultimately, we came back to Indiana, which is where my mom's family's from. And we lived there for a long time. And then, well, three years in Indiana and then moved to Illinois and mm-hmm. we settled in in normal Illinois. Mm-hmm. Normal. After, you did yeah, not. You normal. grew up in normal? I grew up in normal Illinois. Yeah, bloom norm. I bet you were a totally um, normal kid in normal Illinois. Oh, yeah, yeah. I fit right in. Yes, in Tahoe. Um, uh, yeah, I, I love normal. Uh, ended up going to school in Champaign at mm-hmm. uh, UIUC there. Yeah, graduated college, went to work at, uh, at GE in Greenville, South Carolina. Yeah. Beautiful area, beautiful people. Uh, but mm-hmm. I wanted to get, I, I felt like it was pigeonholed in engineering there, and I wanted to get a little further out. I wanted to get yeah. closer to the customers. So I ended and, up and taking so you a went role to, with, You went to uh, University of Illinois or Champaign-Urbana, which is known for engineering, and you got a mechanical engineering degree, correct? Correct. I think Correct. that's yeah. pertinent, harking back to you writing the grant application for a tracker grant to DOE. Mechanical engineer, folks. All right. Keep rolling. So you got this job in Greenville with GE, which most people would say, dude, you nailed it, right? Yeah, it, it was neat. It was great work. Uh, incredibly interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I worked in the black arts of... Um, heat transfer and secondary flows in these massive gas turbine engines that we use for power generation, mm-hmm. which, you know, in parlance is brown power. Like I work in green power now, and that would be considered yeah. brown power typically. Yeah. So the, um, the, the work is incredible. The, the product is absolutely amazing and so incredibly complex. And it's just a work of art to see these gas turbines. What the engineers mm-hmm. and management do over there is just simply stunning. But uh, yeah, like I said, I wanted to get closer to customers and it would, it's hard to, in a, in an organization like that, uh, especially you know, coming up as an where you engineer. have to get special permission to like walk the halls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like four nationals couldn't walk past my desk without an escort. It was a pretty unique situation. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. Good reminder there. Um, so yeah, I took a role in outside sales with train commercial air conditioning, moved to Sacramento, spent a couple of years there. It was, it was neat work. I got to uh, see the integration of software, mm-hmm. control systems, and big heavy equipment. But, you know, it wasn't, ultimately it wasn't for me. And I moved to San Francisco uh, to start an office for a company, but they got whacked by, it was energy efficiency work, but they got whacked by the credit crunch. And, mm-hmm. and then I ended up breaking my ankle six days after they shut that office down and laid me off. So it was, yeah, I, I kind of, actually, I forget. What was the start of this question? What was your That's actual question? That's quite all question? right. I was asking, I was simply asking, uh, tell me about your family and your early childhood. 
Um, and you, <laughs> no, but I, you know, I've had enough conversations with you. I know where you're going with this, but one thing I want to do for, as a fun fact for anybody that might be listening to this, cause they want to you know, go work in Novato's, um, you should include this in like team and, and like corporate trivia. Is it true that the oldest standing house in the country is in your family? Yeah. Yeah. It's in our family history. It's on my mom's what side. The heck? Yeah. And the oldest brick house in uh, Indiana is in our family, the Gilmore house there. So the Gilmore house in Indiana. And what's the house that's the oldest standing house in the country? We can fact check this. That's Fairbanks. Fairbanks house. You can fact check this if you want. There's a, you'll find um, for more sun timber has a whole thing on the Fairbanks house. Um, you know, um, I don't think I told you about this, but our first commercial sale was to, I'm, I'm not going to say his name. I don't know if he wants to be out in public, but someone with that last name, Fairbanks, no ends way. up being a distant cousin of ours. And they had no. migrated to, they'd made their way to California via Canada a long, mm. long time ago. And they came down into California. So yeah, uh, he was, uh, our first sale as a company was wow. to a distant relative. Wow. And, and how far back does your family, your wife's family go? Oh, Mayflower. Yeah. What? That's yeah. literally the first time I've ever heard anybody say that. Yeah. yeah. They came back. I mean, second they, time they, now. They were, they were you told me, your wife's family goes back to the Mayflower. That's yeah. amazing. All right. So we're going to jump from the Mayflower back to uh, working a train and realizing after five months, this isn't working. Right. Or was it, yeah. was it the, or was it the, the injury that precipitated this not working? Uh, no, no. The injury came after it just, okay. it, it didn't, it didn't feel right. It was, uh, it was challenging. Mm. Um, I, I don't want to say anything bad about them, but it's, yeah, I was in a place that I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, yeah, after two years, I left. Uh, I'm glad I left. It was, it was a forced exit. You know, first time I've ever been fired in my life. And I'm very glad that it happened. Uh, you got fired. You didn't tell me oh, that. Oh, yeah, I was fired. Oh, yeah, is, yeah, I was this fired. This is the good stuff. Nobody wants to talk about when they, when they fell on their face. Oh, my God, yeah, that was a rough one. It was a financial disaster for me. It was just, it was just overall Early a very 30s? bad move. Yeah. Um, late twenties into early thirties. Yeah. Well, mm. I was in sac. Okay. Yeah. I had my 30th birth- birthday in Sacramento. Awesome. That's exactly where I would celebrate my 30th. Well, um, <laughs> how, how did, how did you overcome this sort of financial disaster and sort of, and, and I would assume sort of confidence crusher of being fired at train? Yeah, it was rough. You know, you rely on friends and family and, uh, you just, you got to get yourself through it. I, I, I'm really big into exercise. I love to stay in shape. I was doing a lot of yeah. cycling. So I just spent a lot of time on the bike, mountain biking, mm. road biking, and uh, just trying to enjoy, enjoy the outdoors during that period. It was, yeah. um, it was tough then to get a role. Um, you know, the job market, it was, mm. it was an odd job market. And I, I did end up getting a role. This was end of 2008. Did end yeah. up getting a role with this other company, GSH Group, but it, it didn't last long before they were shut down, and then I got hurt. So, yeah, that process it didn't it didn't end really because I look at losing my job there. Then the brief stint to GSH Group was great, but then it went away. Then I got hurt. It was about a two year stretch. Um, it was it was pretty depressing. It was it was hard, and it was it was hellish. Yeah. And I thought I was getting out of that. I, I you know I took the role with Black and Veatch, and things started at you know, improve for me personally. I got out of debt. Um, and my brother picked up a bit of my debt for me, which is incredibly, um, 
Gracious. He was incredibly helpful. Yeah, incredibly yeah. gracious. And I was getting back out of debt and I was, you know, starting mm -hmm. a career at Black & Veatch, but I knew that I just couldn't do it. I, mm -hmm. I knew that I had to do my own thing. And I, I left and I put myself right back and do it again. And okay. five more years of, uh, yeah, I, I, I understand why most startups fail. It's yeah. not an easy thing. You have to find the right team. You have to, you know, you have to be able to get a hold of funding and be successful with your projects and get people to want to buy your equipment or your product or service. Whatever. This is not an easy thing to do. But no I think kind of having that background, that difficult background and, and learning to get through it. You know, my parents talk about perseverance. They ran a, a restaurant in Bloomington, Illinois for 20 years. No way. And you really need, <laughs> you need some strength to run a restaurant yeah. in a, in a small town. And she they did. And they were successful. Business? Oh yeah. I started working there when I was 14. I remember riding my bicycle to the office or not the office. What am I saying to the restaurant? Pulling a lawnmower behind the whole way, you know, miles. No um, just to go mow the yard there. Cause what? it was one of the things I did. I worked in the kitchen where, you know, washed dishes, waited. Yeah. I mean, I think, so you, you, you definitely strike me as like a get or done kind of guy. Um, and it's, it's, it's never, it, it, it I don't think it's serendipity, you know, um, the quote I was going to share sort of disappeared off my screen. The one that's sitting on my desktop always that I look at often is wisdom is knowing what to do. Virtue is doing it. I feel like that is something that entrepreneurs learn the hard way. Um, always, I don't know a successful entrepreneur that did, that didn't learn that the hard way that, um, that wasn't also like very thoroughly mentored in their early years by people who, who did learn it the hard way. Yeah. I mean, entrepreneurs are masochistic in that way. Talk about meeting your co-founder and early contributors. There's some stories there in terms of, I'm curious specifically, you have a co-founder and you've got some, uh, you know, Evan Riley contributed. Let's talk a bit about how you did put together that early team and what you learned about growing a team, getting to product market fit. So I, I started the business with a friend of mine named Norman. Uh, before that, I'd start working on it with another friend of mine named Yos. And Yos actually works at Novato's today. Um, we'd, we'd percolated the idea for a while. We couldn't really come up with something. And then I was talking with Norman after I got back from my big trip around the world. And he said, it's close. It's not quite there. We went back and forth. And finally, one day he's like, that's it. I like it. I'm mm -hmm. in. And he, he jumped into it with me. Uh, we still, we had a number of ideas at that point. We, it was, it was, I wouldn't say we were a scattershot, but it was a broad approach. And we we're trying to figure yeah. out how to narrow it down. And I'd worked with Evan Riley. I'm sure a lot of people on, you know, listening to this know mm -hmm. Evan, you know, Evan, Evan's yeah, a, he's quite a character, amazing human being. Um, I worked with him at Black and Veatch and we got to be friends there. And he was a mentor for me um, in a way when he was at Cypress Creek because he had gone to Cypress Creek after that. And he had insights to the industry and I, w I was bouncing these ideas back and forth with him. And I, I still remember we were sitting in, I think it was Jackson Square. Yeah. It was in this tiny little coffee shop area between a couple buildings where there are these old gas lamps. I think they're the, some of the last gas lamps, public gas mm -hmm. lamps in San Francisco over in the North Beach area. Mm -hmm. And we're sitting there having coffee and he's all slung up. He'd been hit by a taxi on his bicycle and his <laughs> fingers are bandaged. Like he's just a mess at this point. Yeah. He's feeling pretty rough. And he said, you know what we need, Yasin? If you can eliminate the need for grading, that's what you should focus on. I'm like, perfect. That's one of our main things. We'll do it. And that was what got us moving. 
so Norman and I focused on that and we spent, uh, you know, Norman was with Novatos for about two years inside Novatos and ultimately left. We, we didn't have the funding and it wasn't, you know, he was great for helping me start the business, mm-hmm. but ultimately it just wasn't something he was going to be in. He wasn't, What's it wasn't a great name? casting for him. What's that? Norman's last name. Xiao. X-I-A-O. Okay. Got it. So yeah, he's in, he's in Holland now. You know, he was born in, um, in China, moved to the U.S., to L.A. when he was young. And then uh, I met him through uh, another friend of mine. We got to be friends. I just cool. spoke with him a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. How, so a question on my mind is, um, thank you for sharing that. Um, and I actually need to get Evan on. Um, I mean, it's, it's so funny. Like all of, all of the, all of our friends sort of, they bounce around to, um, not bounce around, but they go around to these different companies and ultimately it, you go, wait a minute, shoot, like, there are too many good people at this company for me to interview them. Obviously he's a co-founder over at White Pine. So I need to get Evan on the show. Just reminds me, Evan, if you're listening, I still haven't reached out to you. Don't take it. Uh, don't take it the wrong way. I want you on the show. <laughs> um, do you, so a question I have is as a founder, some people are thinking about, I was like, wait, 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 what about this Yoast guy? He was like original sort of ideation guy. Did he get any equity in the company? How do you structure the, like, if you're okay with talking about it, how do you handle um, like a Yos and a Norman who worked for, for a while in the company, clearly like the way these things get done is they get some sort of like compensation, some sort of equity. Can you talk about that? Uh, yeah, definitely. I definitely can. You know, for Yos, he was long before we started the business and we were talking about different ideas. This is back when we were thinking, he and I had an idea of field, combine harvester type equipment it starts driving through an empty field and behind it is a fully built solar power plant as it goes along. And it just circles back and forth and lays down a power plant. And that's what we were trying to come up with. Uh, so it was a different idea. Um, Norman and I really honed in on what we're doing today. And that's, uh, so Norman and I founded the company. We incorporated, we created the organization that it is. And uh, yeah, we, we, each have a number of founder shares. Uh, Norman actually sold a number of his back. He uh, mm-hmm. he decided it was the right thing to do, uh, which uh, was an incredibly big thing to do. Like that was him yeah. giving back, thinking that there was a, you know, ethically he thought that he he needed he needed to exit a position in his company at that in the company at that point. Yeah, as far as that goes, I I think making sure you pick the right people to talk with and work with uh, is incredibly important, especially that high level in the company. They need to be. They need to have strong moral character. And, you know, these, these three guiding principles that I was talking about, leadership, transparency, and partnership, they really show through in the way that uh, Norman and I started the business, when he exited, how we navigated that exit, because it's not easy. And then, you know, how we've maintained our friendship. And then this, this recent interaction of, of him selling a portion of, the, of his shares back. Yeah. Oh man, we could do a whole episode on that. We just recently went through that with one of the companies I'm on the board of as well, where oh. the uh, the CFO for one of our um, our most profitable division down in Latin America wanted to, share, wanted to sell his shares back for very specific personal reasons. And like as board members, we just raised around and and um, and certainly gladly uh, took those back into sort of into ha- in house. Man, I need to. I need. I feel like I was just talking about this yesterday with uh, with a. a, a a, a, a contributor, sort of an idea, or some a friend of the pod that says you must get in so many interesting conversations um, that don't get shared on the show about you know the real nuts and bolts, how the businesses are built, how the money is raised, and all that stuff. 
Um, I should start a separate pod on that. I don't know. That's masochistic itself. Um, <laughs> so how, so when it got back down to just two people, who was it? Emitoj and myself. So Emitoj is currently, yeah, he's running just hundred feet away. He's running, uh, um, a company off well, on site, I guess we're, we're a scattered organization. Mm-hmm. We're a remote, most, most all remote organizations. So when we do off sites, they're on site. So everybody, yeah, can I know I just did mine this week. That's great. I'll know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, he's, do, uh, he's doing an on site here today. Um, but he's the head of our engineering team and, you know, Emitosh and I sold our first two utilities projects, seven megawatt and 13 megawatt project. And we supplied those ourselves. And, um, we had a third guy for a brief period. He was on controls and then, and then he left and it was just time to me. And we went through this. We got everything sourced, ordered, designed, every single piece that goes into one of these utility projects from an OEM standpoint, we did that. And then I was out there in the field, commissioning the control systems, troubleshooting some issues that came up. And then, you know, we got the projects up and going. And by the way, can I tell you about... <laughs> The hurricane? No, Is that an me. okay thing to get yeah, into? Absolutely. Yeah, please. So we had our first two projects, first two utility projects. We'd done some small like, commercial level projects before that. But our first two utility projects, there's a seven megawatt in Sigurd, Utah. And then there's a 13 megawatt in Franklinton, Louisiana. And we got them in the ground. They were just, I can't remember which one came online first. But I think it was supposed to be the one in in Louisiana, we were on day one of three days of testing, capacity testing, and a hurricane came. It was Hurricane Ida. Mm. And it, it, it wasn't like direct eyewall over, but it, I mean, it was super close. And we had incredible winds at the site. And it went on for a very long period of time. This is our first project, utility project, with this first big customer that finally actually made an order from us. I was so scared. I mean, the anxiety, because all communication was gone. Everything was out. We had no cameras, no information oh coming from the site. And no one was on site. Like, you're not going to be out there in that. It was deadly. It was a, it was a crazy situation to be in. And um, it, was a, it was a Desri product, project. And I got a call from them. Not long like, they went down. And then that day when they saw it, they gave me a call and said, you know, basically, we're sold. And our equipment wow. was fine. I mean, it was, it was up and running, like, you know, it could have been up and running that week there. There were a lot of things that went on, like trees down and just like infrastructure issues. So it was a while before anything could be done, but like our equipment was fine. Like, oh my God, (laughs) what a relief. Talk about dark night. You're like, wait, what's going to happen here? (laughs) Yes. Dark night. Very good. Good way to put it. Hmm. You know, a company is built on a great idea and timing and a product that works. Clearly you've been able to accomplish those three things, but the heart of a company is people. It's not the idea. um, It's not the product that works, but it's people. Can you talk a bit about the, if you think about your business as a, as a, a playing field, you choose your sport. You have to pick the early key players and they are your leaders and they help make move the whole machine and, and create champions. Who are the key players that you needed to put on the field? It was just you and Amitage. You got a, you had this great successful project or two. You were able to raise a round of funding. Now you can afford to like breathe easy at night and actually start bringing people in again. 
So how many people does it take to run a company like this and where'd you start? Yeah. So, um, for a while there, it was just Anatoja and me. It was just the two of us. And so we started to get along with, uh, our, our fundraising through series A. As soon as we got series A and first we paid a lot of debts off. So we didn't have a lot of money to work with at that point, but that money that we had, we knew that we could, we needed to apply it to a team. So we began to build the team. We needed more engineers. We needed more software support. And that's what we focused on. And uh, the, the company began to grow as we got through those portions and we needed sales support. We brought that in supply chain and you know, we, we went out, we, we went out to hire, we interviewed a lot of people. Um, this was, you know, we were in COVID days at this point, really for a lot of it. Yeah. So um, it was interview over a screen, just like that we're doing right now for this podcast. It, it's hard to get to know people that way. You can do your best, but you're in front of a screen. It's until you're yeah. standing next to someone, it's, it's, really hard to really see all the body language and understand how, hmm. how you interact with them. But Amitosh and I have a very similar mindset. Very, we think of people the same way and the value of people and how to interact with people the same way. So we were very lucky that we were together hmm. at that point and we be, began to grow an incredible core team. Um, and that team is now growing. We're, you know, we'll be, you know, over 40 people by the end of the year here. Along the way, hired some of my friends. Like I, I have hired in friends who I know have good skills oh, yeah. and I know get along with and who I, I know that they have the values that the company needs. And then we also go out. Like we, we do our best to hire, you know, open up requisitions and get yeah. a number of people applying and then look through those people, interview the best ones. Oh, I want to ask you a very specific one. Yeah. Pause for a minute. So not everyone listening is going to recognize names of people who really do stand on uh, like head and shoulders above others in the industry as luminaries that have built really impressive shit. How in the heck do you get Jack Bennett as your president and COO? All right. So as we're growing, one of the, the biggest holes, because Norman has left at this point, I need, I need a, I need a partner at the top level of the business and that's a very hard thing to find. I've been looking around for years. I'd interviewed a number of people and I was talking with Jenya and I know Jenya, known him for years at this point. And he said, you know what? You should talk to Jack Bennett. Now, Jack, for people who don't know, Jack is an amazing human being. Nico, I hope you get him on here someday. I think you're going to be blown away just listening to him talk and hear his story. But his recent story was he had been at SunPower and he had hired in and then just very quickly they moved him up and then moved him up even further. He ended up being appointed chief commercial officer, or sorry, not commercial, chief strategy officer, CF, CSO, to figure out what's going on with SunPower because he had discovered that it was in financial straits. And he restructured the company, cut down costs, spun out a bunch of different uh, groups, became different businesses that were bought by other large businesses. And, you know, SunPower, it's, it's different than it is, you know, different today than it was back then, but it, it's brought a lot to the industry. It really grew a lot of different areas of the industry. Jack bought one part, the O&M team, and it was losing money when he bought it. And when he left, you know, not by his choice, uh, about a year and a half ago, it was the largest O&M organization in probably in the world for solar, solar specific, is making a lot of money and it was doing really well. This guy, Jack Bennett, is a very unique character, very unique human being. And to get to know him and to get to work with him is just a magical point in my life. 
Uh, so Jack came in as COO. I met him shortly after he he left Novasource, and I just knew right away, like I want to work with this guy. I want him on the team. So he wanted to figure some things out. I gave him space to explore what he wanted to do, and we started consulting for a while. And then eventually, he's like, "Yes, you know what? Novatos is it. This is where I want to be." And I, I couldn't be happier. Jack has put this P, this this program in place at Novatos, this operating rhythm that he has cultivated over the years, over his entire career. And it's you know replete with KPIs and KIs and regular yeah. meetings and just getting a process and understanding the team, going through Myers-Briggs personality tests, understanding who we are and trying to figure out how our skills match with someone else's skills to move the company forward the best we can and and to make it a fun place to live uh, work. I, I've always loved working in Avatos. It's always been the best place I've ever wanted worked, right? But having Jack come in has just taken it up, you know, a thousand times. Like it, I don't ever want to work anywhere else. I love Novatos. I yeah, I love that. I, I you know, I always so it was interesting when um Jenya reached out and he's like, Hey, just wanna let you know I'm joining this team. I started to look into it because I'd never heard of Novatos and I'm not alone. <laughs> and I was like, God darn it. You know, it's one of those moments like it's good Southern slang. God darn it. Now, cause I, I try not to interview like multiple people at a company. And this happened at next Trekker time and time again, where <laughs> next Trekker just sort of like a Hoover sucked up all the talent. And it was like people who were ordinarily, you know, running their own business, CEOs and like luminaries in their own right. were like going to work for next tracker as like vice presidents or directors. I'm like, Holy crap. I can't interview them now. They're at next tracker. <laughs> and I feel like the same thing is going to happen at Novato's man. So like I'm watching, I'm like, Jack Bennett was on my hit list. I'm like, gotta get that guy. And then, um, and then Jenny was like, Oh, I want you to interview Yezin. I'm like, Jenny, it's time to do a redo for you, man. This was like, you were at Cypress <laughs> Creek when I did your interview. So I feel like Novato's is on that track, that trajectory. And, um, immediately I, I looked at, you know, what you guys are doing and said this, I can't wait to have this conversation. Um, I think that the last, you know, hour plus of, of our discourse is, discourse is definitely going to uh, leave others feeling the same, that not only is it um, the kind of place that people want to work, people that we respect, like Jenya and Yezin, but you have cultivated through a lot of trial and error, through a lot of pain, through the really the, the dark night of the soul as any entrepreneur um, that worth their you know, their metal and worth their investors confidence has gone through. You have, you've, you know, come out of that as a, a leader that people want to follow. And I think that that is something that is, is the, it is the, the chef's kiss on a business that is ready to scale is, is the CEO, the founder, like actually has, they have, they become the kind of person that people want to follow. Not just like, can they buy into the product? You know, the person I am today versus the person I was when I started this company you can't not grow in this situation. Mm. Yeah. You know, being a CEO is one of the loneliest jobs in the world. <laughs> uh, but if you stick it out and you really pay attention and you try to do your best, you will grow tremendously as a human being yeah. and hopefully be a better person coming out of it than when you went in. And I think yeah. I'm better now than I was. I, I'm curious where I'm going to get to go, especially with, you know, especially working with Jack. Like I said, it's just kind of a magical situation working with that guy. Well, Yezin, I'm really grateful for the extra time that you've given here. And I know that others listening are as well. I, I want to pull a couple more threads as we wrap the conversation. Um, I usually ask around kind of how you inform your own leadership style, um, what books you've read, what you nerd out about. 
uh, I, I'd be curious to know if there's any tool that has come into your, your, your own, um, sort of leadership operating system that you would pass on as a tool to others that you feel like is really, maybe you over, you underestimated the power of it, but it has become a, a, a consequential tool in your toolkit. Yeah, uh, absolutely. One of them is the Myers-Briggs personality test. Uh, we looked at a number of different things, a number of different personality tests to try to figure out which one we want. Floated a few past my wife. My, my wife is a licensed cl- clinical social worker, LCSW. And she has a lot of opinions on these things. And she really steered us towards Myers-Briggs. And the reason that we went towards Myers-Briggs is it tells you what you do well. Like there's no sense in focusing on what you do badly. You want to find what you do well, what other people do well, bring it together to grow the company and and to make a, it. a happier workplace. Just take care of problems. Like the way you take yeah. care of problems is focusing on what you're good at. But yeah. you can't just do it once and be done. Like this is something that you do regularly. So uh-huh. we have a, an executive leadership team offsite coming up here where we're going to go work on building out that team focused on, you know, Myers-Briggs personality tests, like how we, how we manage conflict. We've also done some additional conflict studies. Uh, we all have to t- take these tests and it's being driven by Jack. Th- this is, if it's done well, and you have a leader who's really interested in, in seeing it to conclusion and, and bringing value out of it, that it's better than, than any book you can read because you're doing it with other people and you're learning together. You know, if us, Nico, you and me, we have one conversation between two people, right? We bring mm-hmm. a third people, a third person in, we've got three conversations. Mm. And it, I just find so much value in being able to bring the team together and grow. It's more than what I can do with a book. Um, so Nico, I know you, you often ask about books, books to read. It's a, it's a common, uh, common mm-hmm. question and there's a lot of value in it. Like what, what really gets your interest and piques people's interest and in what they want to explore. Yeah. For me, I think that this Myers-Briggs approach mm-hmm. and, and growing the team and really exploring our personalities and how we work together is the most important thing for us to focus on as a company. That's amazing. And it comes back to like building the right kind of company culture. And it's something that actually I don't talk about enough here. I should do some, um, probably some solo episodes or maybe even, uh, definitely dig in this with Jack on the importance of understanding your team's styles. So there are a number of ways you mentioned, uh, Myers-Briggs, which everyone really knows about. Like there's Enneagram, there's even, there's Colby A, there is DISC. Um, the list goes on. Uh, I think Enneagram and DISC are the two that I gravitate towards. Colby A, if you're trying to figure out like co-founder situations and like early leadership teams, um, mm. but Myers-Briggs is a go-to, it's a standard and there's a reason for it. And I, I would encourage everyone, um, you know, what Yezin is saying is not just something that applies to a 40 person team. It applies to a four person team. Understand how you communicate with one another by, you know, these standardized tests exist for a reason and no, they don't paint you into a corner. Um, but they're meant to help be as tools to talk with one another and to understand one another and actually to know like, Oh, I get it. This person's communication style is different from mine. When I talk to them about a problem, I'm going to have to address it from, uh, you know, the more data driven approach or a detailed approach. And this other person doesn't do details at all. So I'm going to have to come at, at it with like a high level approach or, um, or, or they only can focus in the morning. So I'm going to put meetings in the morning, um, <laughs> that kind of thing, right? You really do learn a lot. Listen, we could talk a long time and I'm really grateful for the time that you've given where if folks are so inclined, can they engage with you? How can they find you? Uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. If you have my email or phone number, you know someone who does and you want to reach out, uh, you can do it that way as well. Um, I am a little 
Uh, I'm a little careful of my email. It's an overwhelming yeah. uh, situation often. Uh, we're I moving our offices to Oakland. And if you want to come by and see our new place, you know, get a hold of us. Swing by Jack Berlin Square. Yeah. There you go. Love it. Well, let's end today, as we always do, with a bold prediction. If you look out to 2030, you know, we have an we have an incredible amount of opportunity to tailwind with the IRA. What have we unlocked to achieve the scale that utility scale and commercial solar can accomplish? What did we get right? If you look back from 2030. I'm very excited about domestic manufacturing throughout, you know, from top to bottom. Mm, yeah. I want to see where we go with building up our manufacturing capability again. You know, I remember when I was a kid, like I needed to get a, I would get alternators and starter motors rewound. Like that was a thing, you know, you don't, you don't go buy a new one, you just go get it rewound. And that kind of manufacturing capacity or capability when you have it in small towns, big towns in the city, in the country, yeah. you, it, it brings so much capability. I am very mm. excited. You know, I'm not saying we need to rewind all of our starters, on our cars, I mean, we're not even going to have starters on cars before long, but um, we bringing that manufacturing back to the U.S. is what really gets me excited. And what I heard you say there is that it's, it is more than just creating local jobs and income. It's community building and uh, a lots, lots of pl places in mid-America in particular are yeah. losing that, that element. Yeah. And our industry is an infrastructure industry. We, get, we have a tremendous opportunity to help bring that manufacturing back to American towns. Yeah. And that's going to be, uh, it's going to be a core focus for Novatos as we grow um, and have the ability to give back to the community. It's something that we've been percolating and uh, yeah. you know, over the coming years, you'll see how we enact that. Well, we'll be watching from the sidelines, cheering you on. Yezin Taha is the co-founder and CEO of Novatos Engineering, uh, a new kid on the block, so to speak, and uh, not so new uh, territory of uh, building tracking structures for the diminishing land of, uh, of flatland into not flatland and helping optimize, save money, avoid dust storms, improve economic impact, and, uh, you know, have fewer angry farmers. Yezin, we're grateful to have you here on Suncast. I look forward to hearing how you evolve the way that you do tell the story. And thanks for telling it here to our audience today. Absolutely, Nico. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the time and consideration. And uh, it's been a pleasure. Talk soon. Well, that was amazing. I hope that you'll agree. The story of Nevados Engineering and the founding of this company is a true entrepreneur journey. Yezin, I'm so grateful for you taking the time to share from what has been a true solar coaster, if I ever heard one, from crushed leg to crushed spirits, hidden treasure in the Indian mountains, finding the meaning and purpose of your company and ultimately tying it all back to your journey through South America and your journey to becoming an entrepreneur. This conversation with Yezin was one that really struck at me, a, a traveler, uh, a digital nomad at heart, if you will. But also I've worked in the utility scale industry and the tracker industry. I know just how hard it is to build the kind of business that they're building. And I'm really encouraged by the momentum that I see with Novatos and so many of the companies that you guys are all working on out there. Thank you for taking the time to give the only thing you won't get back, your only non-renewable resource, your time. And it's so valuable. I hope that 
you have feel, felt like the last hour was worth your attention. If that is true, then number one, I ask you to subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Number two, before you even share it with someone else, which is a great gift, would you please leave us a rating and review? I read them every one and they mean so much to me. We've for eight years poured our heart into capturing the founder stories and startup advice on the leading edge, on the front lines of the of the battle, the clean energy transition. And we want more people to get access to these stories. So that rating and review really does help others find the show just like you did. And then the third way, of course, is if you'd share it, that'd be a phenomenal gift to us as well. It's super easy if you want to just share bit.ly, bit.ly forward slash share suncast. No, sorry, forward slash listen to suncast. And then the easiest way to rate it is rate this podcast.com forward slash suncast. All of our show notes for this and every other episode for you infinite learners out there are over at mysuncast.com, which is also where you'll find information that pertains to our upcoming events and our wonderful sponsors who help make sure this content receives its just attention in the world and that you don't have to pay a penny for it other than your time. Thank you to our sponsors who always help make sure this shows up on time and in your inbox. You can learn more about them and how you could partner with us to reach thousands of solo warriors and clean tech champions just like they do at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solo Warrior. It's half the battle.